0: Chapter 31 But Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were beginning to grumble. Jacob has robbed our father, they said. All his wealth has been gained at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a considerable cooling in Laban's attitude toward him. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching the flocks so he could talk things over with them. Your father has turned against me and is not treating me like he used to, he told them. But the God of my father has been with me. You know how hard I have worked for your father. But he has tricked me, breaking his wage agreement with me again and again. But God has not allowed him to do me any harm. For if he said the speckled animals were mine, The whole flock began to produce speckled lambs. And when he changed his mind and said I could have the streaked ones, then all the lambs were born streaked. In this way, God has made me wealthy at your father's expense. During the mating season, I had a dream and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I replied, yes, I'm listening. The angel said, look and you will see that only the streaked, speckled, and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I have seen all that Laban has done to you. I am the God you met at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made a vow to serve me. Now leave this country and return to the land you came from. Rachel and Leah said, That's fine with us. There's nothing for us here. None of our father's wealth will come to us anyway. He has reduced our rights to those of foreign women. He sold us, and what he received for us has disappeared. The riches God has given you from our father are legally ours, and our children's to begin with. So go ahead and do whatever God has told you. So Jacob put his wives and children on camels. He drove the flocks in front of him, all the livestock he had acquired at Padan Aram, and set out on his journey to the land of Canaan where his father Isaac lived. At the time they left, Laban was some distance away, shearing his sheep. Rachel stole her father's household gods and took them with her. They set out secretly and never told Laban they were leaving. Jacob took all his possessions with him and crossed the Euphrates River, heading for the territory of Gilead. Laban didn't learn of their flight for three days. But when he did, he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. He caught up with him seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. But the previous night God had appeared to Laban in a dream. Be careful about what you say to Jacob, he was told. So when Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead, he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean by sneaking off like this? Laban demanded. Are my daughters prisoners, the plunder of war, that you have stolen them away like this? Why did you slip away secretly? I would have given you a farewell party with joyful singing accompanied by tambourines and harps. Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren and tell them goodby?e You have acted very foolishly. I COULD DESTROY YOU, BUT THE GOD OF YOUR FATHER APPEARED TO ME LAST NIGHT AND TOLD ME, BE CAREFUL ABOUT WHAT YOU SAY TO JACOB. I KNOW YOU FEEL YOU MUST GO, AND YOU LONG INTENSELY FOR YOUR CHILDHOOD HOME. BUT WHY HAVE YOU STOLEN MY HOUSEHOLD GODS? I RUSHED AWAY BECAUSE I WAS AFRAID, JACOB ANSWERED. I SAID TO MYSELF, HE'LL TAKE HIS DAUGHTERS FROM ME BY FORCE. But as for your household, God's let the person who has taken them die. If you find anything that belongs to you, I swear, before all these relatives of ours, I will give it back without question. But Jacob didn't know that Rachel had taken them. Laban went first into Jacob's tent to search there, then into Leah's, and then he searched the tents of the two concubines, but he didn't find the gods. Finally he went into Rachel's tent. Rachel had taken the household gods and had stuffed them into her camel saddle. And now she was sitting on them. So although Laban searched all the tents, he couldn't find them. Forgive my not getting up, father, Rachel explained. I'm having my monthly period. So despite his thorough search, Laban didn't find them. Then Jacob became very angry. What did you find? he demanded of Laban. "'What is my crime? "'You have chased me as though I were a criminal. "'You have searched through everything I owned. "'Now show me what you have found that belongs to you. "'Set it out here in front of us, "'before our relatives, for all to see. "'Let them decide who is the real owner. Twenty years I have been with you, "'and all that time I cared for your sheep and goats "'so they produced healthy offspring. "'In all those years I never touched "'a single ram of yours for food.' if any were attacked and killed by wild animals, did I show them to you and ask you to reduce the count of your flock? No, I took the loss. You made me pay for every animal stolen from the flocks, whether the loss was my fault or not. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through cold and sleepless nights. Yes, twenty years, fourteen of them earning your two daughters and six years to get the flock. And you have reduced my wages ten times.' In fact, except for the grace of God, the God of my grandfather Abraham, the awe-inspiring God of my father Isaac, you would have sent me off without a penny to my name. But God has seen your cruelty and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and vindicated me. Then Laban replied to Jacob, These women are my daughters, and these children are my grandchildren, and these flocks and all that you have, all are mine, but... Can I do now to my own daughters and grandchildren? Come now, and we will make a peace treaty, you and I, and we will live by its terms. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a monument. He also told his men to gather stones and pile them up in a heap. Jacob and Laban then sat down beside the pile of stones to share a meal. They named it Witness Pile, which is Jigar Seha in Laban's language, and Galaid in Jacob's. This pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of our agreement, Laban said. This place was also called Mizpah, for Laban said, May the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this treaty when we are out of each other's sight. I won't know about it if you are harsh to my daughters or if you take other wives, but God will see it. This heap of stones and this pillar stand between us as a witness of our vows. I will not cross this line to harm you, and you will not cross it to harm me. I call on the God of our ancestors, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of my grandfather Nahor, to punish either one of us who harms the other. So Jacob took an oath before the awesome God of his father Isaac to respect the boundary line. Then Jacob presented a sacrifice to God and invited everyone to a feast. Afterward, they spent the night there in the hills. Laban got up early the next morning, and he kissed his daughters and grandchildren and blessed them. Then he returned home. Chapter 32 As Jacob and his household started on their way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim, Jacob now sent messengers to his brother Esau in Edom, the land of Seir. He told them, Give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. I have been living with Uncle Laban until recently, and now I own oxen, donkeys, sheep, goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform you of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to us. The messengers returned with the news that Esau was on his way to meet Jacob with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household, along with the flocks and herds and camels, into two camps. He thought, if Esau attacks one group, perhaps the other can escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac, O oh Lord, you told me to return to my land and to my relatives, and you promised to treat me kindly. I am not worthy of all the faithfulness and unfailing love you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home, I owned nothing except a walking stick, and now my household fills two camps. O oh Lord, please rescue me from my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to kill me, along with my wives and children." but you promised to treat me kindly and to multiply my descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. Jacob stayed where he was for the night and prepared a present for Esau. Two hundred female goats, twenty male goats, two hundred ewes, twenty rams, thirty female camels with their young, forty cows, ten bulls, twenty female donkeys, and ten male donkeys.' He told his servants to lead them on ahead, each group of animals by itself, separated by a distance in between. He gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When you meet Esau, he will ask, Where are you going? Whose servants are you? Whose animals are these? You should reply, These belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present for his master Esau. He is coming right behind us. Jacob gave the same instructions to each of the herdsmen and told them, You are all to say the same thing to Esau when you see him, and be sure to say, Your servant Jacob is right behind us. Jacob's plan was to appease Esau with a presence before meeting him face to face. Perhaps, Jacob hoped, he will be friendly to us. So the presents were sent on ahead, and Jacob spent that night in the camp. But during the night Jacob got up and sent his two wives, two concubines, and eleven sons across the Jabbok River. After they were on the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn. When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. Then the man said, "'Let me go, for it is dawn.' But Jacob panted, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. It is now Israel, because you have struggled with both God and men and have won. What is your name? Jacob asked him. Why do you ask? the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun rose as he left Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. That is why even today the people of Israel don't eat meat from near the hip, in memory of what happened that night. Chapter 33 Then in the distance, Jacob saw Esau coming with his four hundred men. Jacob now arranged his family into a column with his two concubines and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed low seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him affectionately and kissed him. Both of them were in tears. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, Jacob replied. Then the concubines came forward with their children and bowed low before him. Next Leah came with her children and they bowed down. Finally, Rachel and Joseph came and made their bows. And what were all the flocks and herds I met as I came? Esau asked. Jacob replied, "They are gifts, my lord, to ensure your goodwill." Brother, I have plenty," Esau answered. "Keep what you have." No, please accept them," Jacob said. For what a relief it is to see your friendly smile. "'It is like seeing the smile of God. "'Please take my gifts, for God has been very generous to me. "'I have more than enough.' "'Jacob continued to insist. "'So Esau finally accepted them. "'Well, let's be going,' Esau said. "'I will stay with you and lead the way.' "'But Jacob replied, "'You can see, my lord, that some of the children are very young, "'and the flocks and herds have their young too.' If they are driven too hard, they may die. So go on ahead of us. We will follow at our own pace and meet you at Seir. Well, Esau said, at least let me leave some of my men to guide and protect you. There is no reason for you to be so kind to me, Jacob insisted. So Esau started back to Seir that same day. Meanwhile, Jacob and his household traveled on to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his flocks and herds. That is why the place was named Succoth. Then they arrived safely at Shechem in Canaan, and they set up camp just outside the town. Jacob bought the land he camped on from the family of Hamor Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Chapter 34 One day Dinah, Leah's daughter, went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when the local prince Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, saw her, he took her and raped her. But Shechem's love for Dinah was strong, and he tried to win her affection. He even spoke to his father about it. Get this girl for me, he demanded. I want to marry her. Word soon reached Jacob that his daughter had been defiled. But his sons were out in the fields herding cattle, so he did nothing until they returned. Meanwhile, Hamer, Shechem's father, came out to discuss the matter with Jacob. He arrived just as Jacob's sons were coming in from the fields. They were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, a thing that should never have been done. Hamer told Jacob and his sons, My son Shechem is truly in love with your daughter, and he longs for her to be his wife. Please, let him marry her. We invite you to let your daughters marry our sons, and we will give our daughters as wives for your young men. And you may live among us. The land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us. You are free to acquire property among us. Then Shechem addressed Dinah's father and brothers. "'Please be kind to me, and let me have her as my wife,' he begged. "'I will give whatever you require. "'No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will pay it. "'Only give me the girl as my wife.' "'But Dinah's brothers deceived Shechem and Hamer "'because of what Shechem had done to their sister. "'They said to them, "'We couldn't possibly allow this because you aren't circumcised. "'It would be a disgrace for her to marry a man like you. "'But here is a solution.' If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, we will intermarry with you and live here and unite with you to become one people. Otherwise, we will take her and be on our way. Hamer and Shechem gladly agreed, and Shechem lost no time in acting on this request, for he wanted Dinah desperately. Shechem was a highly respected member of his family, and he appeared with his father before the town leaders to present this proposal. Those men are our friends, they said. Let's invite them to live here among us and ply their trade, for the land is large enough to hold them and we can intermarry with them. They will consider staying here only on one condition. Every one of us men must be circumcised just as they are. But if we do this, all their flocks and possessions will become ours. Come, let's agree to this so they will settle here among us. All the men agreed and were circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, took their swords, entered the town without opposition, and slaughtered every man there, including Hamor and Shechem. They rescued Dinah from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. And all of Jacob's sons plundered the town because their sister had been defiled there. They seized all the flocks and herds and donkeys, Everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. They also took all the women and children and wealth of every kind. Afterward, Jacob said to Levi and Simeon, You have made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. There's so few that they will come and crush us. We will all be killed. Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? They retorted angrily. Chapter 35 God said to Jacob, Now move on to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to worship me, the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Destroy your idols, wash yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has stayed with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their idols and their earrings, and he buried them beneath the tree near Shechem. When they set out again, terror from God came over the people in all the towns of that area, and no one attacked them. Finally they arrived at Luz, now called Bethel in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and named it El Bethel because God had appeared to him there at Bethel when he was fleeing from Esau. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse Deborah died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. Ever since, the tree has been called the Oak of Weeping. God appeared to Jacob once again when he arrived at Bethel after traveling from padan Aram. God blessed him and said, Your name is no longer Jacob. You will now be called Israel. Then God said, I am God Almighty. Multiply and fill the earth. Become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. And I will pass on to you the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. He then poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. Jacob called the place Bethel, house of God, because God had spoken to him there. Leaving Bethel, they traveled on toward Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. But Rachel's pains of childbirth began while they were still some distance away. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid. You have another son. Rachel was about to die. But with her last breath, she named him Benoni. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over her grave, and it can be seen there to this day. Jacob then traveled on and camped beyond the Tower of Eder. While he was there, Reuben slept with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and someone told Jacob about it. These are the names of the twelve sons of Jacob. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons born to Jacob at Padan-Aram. So Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, which is near Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, where Abraham had also lived. Isaac lived for 180 years he died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death. Then his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Chapter 36 This is the history of the descendants of Esau, also known as Edom. Esau married two young women from Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elan the Hittite, and Holabemah, the daughter of Ena and granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite. He also married his cousin Basimath, was the daughter of Ishmael and the sister of Nebaioth. Esau and Adah had a son named Eliphaz. Esau and Basemath had a son named Ruel. Esau and Uhulebemah had sons named Jaash, Jalam, and Korah. All these sons were born to Esau in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, children, household servants, cattle and flocks, all the wealth he had gained in the land of Canaan, and moved away from his brother Jacob. There was not enough land to support them both because of all their cattle and livestock. So Esau, also known as Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. This is a list of Esau's descendants, the Edomites, who live in the hill country of Seir. Among Esau's sons were Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife Ada, and Ruel, the son of Esau's wife Passamath. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatem, and Kenaz. Eliphaz had another son named Amalek, born to Timnah, his concubine. These were all grandchildren of Esau's wife, Ada. The sons of Ruel were Naheth, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These were all grandchildren of Esau's wife, Basimah. Esau also had sons through Aholabemah, the daughter of Anah, and granddaughter of Zibion. Their names were jeush Jalem, and Korah. Esau's children and grandchildren became the leaders of different clans. The sons of Esau's oldest son, Eliphaz, became the leaders of the clans of Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These clans in the land of Edom were descended from Eliphaz, the son of Esau and Adah. The sons of Esau's son, Ruel, became the leaders of the clans of Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These clans in the land of Edom were descended from Ruel, the son of Esau, and Basimath. The sons of Esau and his wife, Oholabemah, became the leaders of the clans of Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the clans descended from Esau's wife, Aholabema, the daughter of Ena. These are all the clans descended from Esau, also known as Edom. These are the names of the tribes that descended from Seir the Horite, one of the families native to the land of Seir, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ena, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These were the Horite clans, the descendants of Seir, who lived in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Horai and Heman. Lotan's sister was named Timnah. The sons of Shobal were Alban, Manahath, Ebol, Shifo, and Onam. The sons of Zibion were Aiah and Ena. This is the Ena who discovered the hot springs in the wilderness while he was grazing his father's donkeys. The son of Ena was Dishan, and Oholabema was his daughter. The sons of Dishan were Hamdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Kiran. The sons of Ezer were Bilhan, Zeavon, and Achan. The sons of Dishan were Uz and Aran. So the leaders of the Horite clans were Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ena, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. The Horite clans are named after their clan leaders who lived in the land of Seir. These are the kings who ruled in Edom before there were kings in Israel. Bela, son of Beor, who ruled from his city of Dinhaba, when Bela died, Jobab, son of Zerah from Basra, became king. When Jobab died, Husham from the land of the Temanites became king. When Husham died, Hadad, son of Bedad, became king and ruled from the city of Avith. He was the one who destroyed the Midianite army in the land of Moab. When Hadad died, Samla, from the city of Masrika, became king. When Samla died, Sheol from the city of Rehoboth on the Euphrates River became king. When Sheol died, Baal-Hanan, son of Akbor, became king. When Baal-Hanan died, Hadad became king and ruled from the city of Peu. Hadad's wife was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred and granddaughter of Mezahab. These are the leaders of the clans of Esau who lived in the places named for them, Timnah, Elva, Jethith, Aholabema, Elah, Pinon, Kenaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These are the names of the clans of Esau, the ancestor of the Edomites, each clan giving its name to the area it occupied. Chapter 37 So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. This is the history of Jacob's family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bila and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. My bundle stood up, and then your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before it. So, you are going to be our king, are you? his brothers taunted and they hated him all the more for his dream and what he had said. Then Joseph had another dream and told his brothers about it. "'Listen to this dream,' he said. "'The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me.' This time he told his father as well as his brothers, and his father rebuked him. "'What do you mean?' his father asked. "'Will your mother, your brothers, and I actually come and bow before you?' But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father gave it some thought and wondered what it all meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are over at Shechem with the flocks. I'm going to send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me word. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from his home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? he asked. For my brothers and their flocks, Joseph replied. Have you seen them? Yes, the man told him, "But they are no longer here. I heard your brothers say they were going to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they exclaimed. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into a deep pit. We can tell our father that a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of all his dreams. But Reuben came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him he said. Why should we shed his blood? Let's just throw him alive into this pit here. That way he will die without our having to touch him. Reuben was secretly planning to help Joseph escape, and then he would bring him back to his father. So when Joseph arrived, they pulled off his beautiful robe and threw him into the pit. This pit was normally used to store water, but it was empty at the time. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, They noticed a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking spices, balm, and myrrh from Gilead to Egypt. Judas said to the others, What can we gain by killing our brother? That would just give us a guilty conscience. Let's sell Joseph to those Ishmaelite traders. Let's not be responsible for his death. After all, he is our brother. And his brothers agreed. So, when the traders came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for twenty pieces of silver. The Ishmaelite traders took him along to Egypt. Some time later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the pit. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in anguish and frustration. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What can I do now? Then Joseph's brothers killed a goat and dipped the robe in its blood. They took the beautiful robe to their father and asked him to identify it. we found this in the field, they told him. It's Joseph's robe, isn't it? Their father recognized it at once. Yes, he said. It is my son's robe. A wild animal has attacked and eaten him. Surely Joseph has been torn in pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. He mourned deeply for his son for many days. His family all tried to comfort him, but it was no use. I will die in mourning for my son, he would say. And then began to weep. Meanwhile in Egypt, the traders sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guide. Chapter 38 About this time, Judah left home and moved to Adjulam, where he visited a man named Hira. There he met a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. She became pregnant and had a son, and Judah named the boy Ur. Then Judah's wife had another son, and she named him Onan. And when she had a third son, she named him Shelah. At the time of Shelah's birth, they were living at Kizib. When his oldest son, Ur, grew up, Judah arranged his marriage to a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, You must marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. Her first son from you will be your brother's heir. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with Tamar, he spilled the semen on the ground to keep her from having a baby who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it a wicked thing for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. Then Judah told Tamar, his daughter-in-law, not to marry again at that time, but to return to her parents' home. She wished to remain a widow until his youngest son, Sheila, was old enough to marry her. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Sheila would also die, like his two brothers. So Tamar went home to her parents. In the course of time, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar that her father-in-law had left for the sheep shearing at Timnah. Tamar was aware that Sheila had grown up, but they had not called her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road of the entrance to the village of Inaim, which is on the way to Timnah. Judah noticed her as he went by and thought she was a prostitute since her face was veiled. So he stopped and propositioned her to sleep with him, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay me? Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat for my flock, Judah promised. What pledge will you give me so I can be sure you will send it? she asked. Well, what do you want? he inquired. She replied, I want your identification seal, your cord and the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave these items to her. She then let him sleep with her, and she became pregnant. Afterwards, she went home, took off her veil, and put on her widow's clothing as usual. Judah asked his friend Hira, the Adjulamite, to take the young goat back to her and to pick up the pledges he had given her. But Hira couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, Where can I find the prostitute who is sitting beside the road at the entrance to the village? We have never had a prostitute here, they replied. So Hira returned to Judah and told him that he couldn't find her anywhere, and that the men of the village had claimed they didn't have a prostitute there. Then let her keep the pledges, Judah exclaimed. We tried our best to send her the goat. We'd be the laughing stock of the village if we went back again. About three months later, word reached Judah that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, was pregnant as a result of prostitution. "'Bring her out and burn her!' Judah shouted. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. "'The man who owns this identification seal and walking stick "'is the father of my child. Do you recognize them?' Judah admitted that they were his and said, She is more in the right than I am because I didn't keep my promise to let her marry my son Sheila. But Judah never slept with Tamar again. In due season, the time of Tamar's delivery arrived, and she had twin sons. As they were being born, one of them reached out his hand, and the midwife tied a scarlet thread around the wrists of the child who appeared first, saying, This one came out first. But then he drew back his hand, and the other baby was actually the first to be born. "'What?' the midwife exclaimed. "'How did you break out first? And ever after, he was called Pires. Then the baby with the scarlet thread on his wrist was born, and he was named Zerah.'" Chapter 39 Now when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders... He was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guide. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So Joseph naturally became quite a favorite with him. Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge of his entire household and entrusted him with all his business dealings. From the day Joseph was put in charge, the Lord began to bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs began to run smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have a worry in the world except to decide what he wanted to eat. Now Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. and about this time, Potiphar's wife began to desire him and invited him to sleep with her. But Joseph refused. "'Look,' he told her. "'My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. "'No one here has more authority than I do. "'He has held back nothing from me except you "'because you are his wife.' How could I ever do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on him day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he was doing his work inside the house. She came and grabbed him by his shirt, demanding, Sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but as he did, his shirt came off. She was left holding it as he ran from the house. When she saw that she had his shirt and that he had fled, she began screaming. Soon all the men around the place came running. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to insult us, she sobbed. He tried to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard my loud cries, he ran and left his shirt behind with me. She kept the shirt with her, and when her husband came home that night, she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've had around here tried to make a fool of me, she said. I was saved only by my screams. He ran out, leaving his shirt behind. After hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. But the Lord was with Joseph there, too, and he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. Before long the jailer put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The chief jailer had no more worries after that because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him, making everything run smoothly and successfully. Chapter 40 Some time later Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended him. Pharaoh became very angry with these officials and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of Potiphar, the captain of the guide. They remained in prison for quite some time, and Potiphar assigned Joseph to take care of them. One night the cupbearer and the baker each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. The next morning Joseph noticed the dejected look on their faces. Why do you look so worried today, he asked. And they replied, "'We both had dreams last night. "'But there is no one here to tell us what they mean. "'Interpreting dreams is God's business,' Joseph replied. "'Tell me what you saw.' "'The cupbearer told his dream first. "'In my dream,' he said, "'I saw a vine in front of me. "'It had three branches that began to bud and blossom, "'and soon there were clusters of ripe grapes.' I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed the juice into it. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. I know what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches mean three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will take you out of prison and return you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please, have some pity on me when you are back in his favor. Mention me to Pharaoh and ask him to let me out of here. I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in jail, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that the first dream had such a good meaning, he told his dream to Joseph too. In my dream, he said, there were three baskets of pastries on my head. In the top basket were all kinds of bakery goods for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them. I'll tell you what it means... Joseph told him. The three baskets mean three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will cut off your head and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he gave a banquet for all his officials and household staff. He sent for his chief cupbearer and chief baker, and they were brought to him from the prison. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position. But he sentenced the chief baker to be impaled on a pole, just as Joseph had predicted. Pharaoh's cupbearer, however, promptly forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought.